Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. And we are live. Hey guys, it's Ruben from Dub's podcast, Connection Loop. Today I have Tony Blauer on with me. And one of the things that strikes me about Tony is that it seems like you've been in the same gig and you've done the same purpose since the 80s. So you're one of those guys that's really unique in that you knew your purpose early on in your life and you've been pursuing that ever since. And I think that what you're doing is fantastic. I'd love to learn more. What is your origin story? You know, it's funny you bring this up because I was writing a, an article a couple of weeks ago online and I always talked about my origin story was as a self-defense instructor, you know, one of my students lost a fight in 1980 and while he was describing what had happened in this violent encounter, it was like the God of self-defense hit me with this lightning bolt and said, oh my God, we're doing, we're teaching self-defense wrong. And I, and I was thinking that as the origin story and I've always told it that way for decades and uh, I was sharing a story online about getting attacked when I was 12, leaving a baseball game. And uh, these two kids, maybe 15 years old from the local high school, jumped me, beat me up. I went home, told my dad, it was 1972, uh, hey man, I just got jumped. And I was fine, I didn't get really hurt. It was like emotionally you know, traumatic. And, and he said, well, you gotta learn how to defend yourself. And uh, the kids. So did he, after, did he have any any training, or had he no, done ever martial arts? No, art? he told me a great question. He told me no. He says you gotta we gotta get you some martial art training, and it was just around uh, like within a few months later, Bruce Lee passed away, and then martial arts exploded in in that era, and that was ignition for me, like seeing him and reading his story, me getting jumped, and it was somebody um, online said, "I'm so glad those two guys jumped you because." look what you're doing now. Like had that not happened, I grew up in Canada. I live in, in Southern California now, but I grew up in Canada. And if when you grew up in Canada, Ruben, you're either a skier or a skater. You're either yeah. playing hockey or you're skiing. Well, I grew up on skis. I was a uh, one of the top skiers in Canada. I was competing. There was whispers of me, maybe if this, if I continued on this trajectory, I, I would represent Canada, uh, maybe in the Olympics if I kept, you know. So had I not been attacked, maybe I'd be selling skis somewhere, you know, and ski wet. So, <laughs> so, so my new origin story is this idea like, wow, like that was crazy serendipity or synchronicity that I got attacked and something hit me and I realized, so I grew up in the 60s watching the original Bruce Lee on the Green Hornet and, you know, Batman and the old, you know, original Wild Wild West. And, uh, I share all this stuff because, you know, in the 60s, you know, you're glued to your black and white TV, colors just coming in, and it was all these stylized fighting. And every time there was fighting in a TV episode, whether it was like like the goofiest, like most unrealistic fighting because they didn't really understand choreography back then, I was transfixed. I was always just totally engaged. And um, when I was 15... To jump ahead uh, a number of years after I started doing martial arts in 1972 you know, and then Bruce Lee passed away and the whole ignition thing. I'm sitting on the floor of my home and I'm like reading Bruce Lee magazines trying to achieve the splits. Ah, and because he, he was insanely flexible. Yeah, man, but he was like, he was, he was any, anybody who got into him. I mean, he's one of the most famous icons in the world. 
but you know everyone thought they were Bruce Lee's biggest fan but I was so that was crazy that they all thought they were but, but seriously <laughs> you know I'm on the ground trying to do the splits and my mom walks by and you remember it's 1975 and she looks at me and she says hey dear you're 15 have you thought about what you're going to do when you graduate school are you going to are you going to go into the family business my uh, father ran an import export business that was passed on to him from his dad and my mom says are you going to go into the family business or are you going to be a lawyer or a doctor? Because those are the three choices you had in the 70s, right? Lawyer, doctor, or uh, family business. And I looked up at her, Reuben, looked up at her, looked back down at Bruce Lee, and I said, Mom, school is not going to be a big thing for me. It's not going to play a big factor. And she's like, oh, really? She goes, I go, yeah. I'm going to be a famous martial artist like Bruce Lee. I'm going to develop my own self-defense system. I literally said that, and I knew it. Like, it was just matter of fact. And I always knew that. And here I am. I make this joke. You know, I'm 59 years old now. You know, I've been doing this for 43 years. Haven't changed my mission. Haven't changed the vision. And still, every day, yesterday I woke up around 5.30, and I had this idea for like a new iteration of an important program we do called Be Your Own Bodyguard. And just got up and started writing. So you're like decades later, still trying to improve, you know, the metaphoric software. Amazing, man. I mean, to hear about the fact that you got jumped, it's a form of bullying, someone messed with you. And you had that response, you had that reaction at that point that you said, I never want to let this happen to me again. And right. I want to learn from this. And it's because of that adversity that you went through that you, you found your purpose. And I always find it intriguing that when people don't realize that it's the, the struggle that we go through and it's the adversity and the challenges, the trials and tribulations, the crap that we go through in our lives early on, later on, doesn't matter, that actually forms who we are and what our purpose is. You know, the two most important days of our lives, many say, are the day that we're born and the day that we find our purpose, why we're born. You know, and I think that you found that early on. Now, a lot of people don't have that. I'll call it a luxury, even though it didn't seem like a luxury at the time. But I applaud you. And you did mention that you have your own. You have accomplished exactly what you set out to do when you were 15 years old, because as I understand it, your own defense model. Is it called spear? I want to I want to yeah. understand that. Yeah. Um, you know, I dig that. I, and I love that twist or reframe on on the two most important days in your life because old school is the day you're born and the day you die and what you yeah. do in between and you know metaphorically the same thing but but it's you know finding that purpose it's it's tricky for some because not a lot of people get that and you could see that and that's one of the big things that i do now is you know we've got two parts of the company one is the kind of like the survival side of the spectrum you know and this is like what do we do during a violent encounter and my clients are mostly you know professional law enforcement military emergency services and we've got a division for the general public but the other side of my company the flip side of this this axis is the thrive side so we've got survive and we've got thrive and the thrive is more so we've got personal defense on the left and personal development on the right. What I discovered along the way, and you talk about insane serendipity, is uh, I discovered through studying violence that the way to make things happen is to change our relationship with fear. Mm. And to when we change our relationship with fear, we change our lives. And the I could say, oh, Ruben, I'm going to teach you, you know, how to do this gun disarm. I'm going to teach you how to do this palm strike. I'm going to teach you how to kick somebody in the nuts. I'm going to, and you and you're practicing the movements like everyone does. But then when the event happens, 
we freeze, we hesitate, mm -hmm. we have self-doubt. And you can see that in the boardroom and you can see that in the boxing ring. You can see, uh, you know, it all over the place. So one of the things that I discovered was it's not a recipe, but it's a way to review, to relook at fear. The compound value of this was that in teaching people. So what I did is when I had that moment of adversity and I got jumped, you know, my dad said, hey, you got to learn how to defend yourself. You're going to high school. Da, 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 da. And uh, I do the training and I was in several altercations growing up. And I always remember how horrible I felt, the adrenaline dump, the butterflies in my stomach, the sweaty palms. Uh, and I was like, what is that? No matter how good I got physically, there was something missing psychologically. And so, you know, if you think, you know, pain is the mother of invention, I started to study uh, psychology and mindset and developed a whole different way to look at, at fear. Instead of going with a conventional fight or flight, which is, you know, you know, everyone talks about that. I said, well, you know, that's all intuitive and instinctive. What I need to do is understand the coach in my mind, the guy in the back of my head saying, you're going to get your ass kicked here. Yeah. You're going to lose. Now. Yeah. I want to circle back to your question about spear and then and then drive this back to you know many of your listeners might not care about self-defense although i think that every person male female should understand not like i don't teach people how to fight i teach them how to not fight i'm more about situational awareness i'm more about de-escalation and understanding how to avoid a confrontation but in recognizing that fear played in my opinion the most important attribute to successfully doing anything, I started to study that and developed a, a whole component of that. In that process, I developed what we now call SPEAR, which is an acronym for Spontaneous Protection Enabling Accelerator Response. So I was trying to create these drills that inspired so much fear in the practitioner that it short-circuited their complex motor skills. I know this sounds like a, like a crazy thing, but it would be like, like, let's say you were a really good boxer. I'm trying to come up with a scenario where you're so uptight about what's about to happen next that you forget about all your boxing skills or your Taekwondo skills or your Jeet Kune Do skills or whatever. And we so we started doing the scenario-based training in the early well, that would be That wouldn't be fight or flight. That would be freeze. Correct. Correct. But I was more interested in what were the stimuli that would trigger those conditions. And over years and years of training, we realized that that if a stimulus gets introduced too quickly, the amygdala, the limbic system, the reptilian brain hijacks executive function, prefrontal cortex. There are, our cognitive brain holds our, our, well, if he does this, I'll do that. Like it's got like the answers to everything, right? But if your reptilian brain kicks in, that's the fight, flight, freeze element there. And so we started to successfully do that. And, but what started to happen was by creating these realistic scenarios, we started seeing all of this flinching, all of this movement where hands would come up, push away danger. And so somebody who, who was a good striker or good at martial arts, suddenly they're standing there in this you know, improvised scenario and a move happens and you would see everybody universally moved almost in the same, the same way. And it was fascinating to me. It didn't matter if you're male, female, young or old, didn't matter if you were like, again, Taekwondo or Jeet Kune Do or, or Jiu Jitsu or wrestling, that the stimulus got introduced and the hands came up to protect the head. Well, this, I start to research as the start of flinch mechanism, the cross extensor reflex, all this physiology. And then I begin to reverse engineer a way to weaponize the start of flinch because that was the 
single most consistent event that happened when there was what we call that big bang moment in a confrontation. In other words, visualize this. We're sitting around a round, uh, round table. You're a Jeet Kune Do expert. There's a boxer beside you. There's a Krav Maga expert beside him. There's a jiu-jitsu expert. And we're sitting at, at the table having a meeting. And all of a sudden, you know, out of a box on the table, a friggin' like snake pops out or spiders pop out. Visualize if that happened dramatically, what all of us would do. None of us would, you know, hit our stances. We'd all go, whoa, holy shit. Like our hand, we would recoil from the threat and our hands would come up to protect our heads. I started seeing that consistently in knife attacks, gun attacks, people going through car windshields when the seatbelts weren't mandatory. And I spent decades figuring out almost like Pavlovian conditioning how do we weaponize the startle flinch? Because regardless of your training, that always happened first. So my understanding is that in martial arts, one of the fundamental differences in the different styles is actually where your hands are. You know, my kid is in, he's studying Jeet Kune Do. This is Bruce Lee. Obviously, you know this. This is Bruce Lee's form of martial arts that he invented. And it's, I think it's based on Taekwondo and, and, a, and a karate and a couple others. But my understanding is that the hands in JKD are a little bit higher. Is that, is that correct? And that, yeah, that's, so, that's the kind of block. So, so, yeah, so Bruce built it off of Wing Chun. The, okay. That was the Kung Fu system. He, he started just, you know, for, for clarity. And that system is very much with the hands up kind of high, occupying the center line. Bruce was heavily influenced by Western boxing. And so he modified this center line stance to this boxing position. All of those positions and movements are cognitive ideas. And so what's interesting is, you know, there's no such thing as muscle memory, although people think there is, but what real muscle memory is, is a relationship between a skill you've developed and the myelinization of neurotransmitters. In other words, how your brain is wired. So if you're a Taekwondo guy, which is predominantly a kicking art, and I go, Ruben, let's fight, you'll back up, you'll create space for your kicks and your brain starts thinking about which kick can I use to keep this guy at bay or to intercept the threat. If you're a Jeet Kune Do person and someone goes, let's fight, your hands will shoot into your ready stance and because that's what you practiced your 10,000 hours, your 10,000 reps, whatever the metaphor is. So every art predisposes you to do something that supports the execution of that art, right? And what I did is, this is a very interesting conversation and, and, and probably very different than, than maybe you expected. Where's this going to go? Who knows? Um, That's is, the best part. Yeah. A couple of years ago, to help people understand this, I created this concept called the categories. And in category one, we just group all traditional martial arts. In category two, we group all combat sports, MMA, boxing, kickboxing, anything where there's actual impact. In category three we have all these reality-based self-defense programs like, and Jeet Kune Do could fall into there. Krav Maga could fall into there. Now, the thing about them all is this, is each one of them has like a doctrine, a lesson plan, a methodology, and it's all based on block training. Hey, Sensei Sifu, can I learn that cool move that I saw? No, no, you've got to go. It'll take you two years to get there, and you've got to get these grades or these, these pass these tests or, or challenges, right? This is your crucible to get up there. That's advanced. And so what's happening there is the neurotransmitters, what we think is muscle memory, are being trained to move a certain way. And, and this develops what we call an unconscious bias, right? So if I ask, you know, if, if, if I say, let's go out for oriental food, 
and I go, and I take you to a sushi restaurant, you might go, I hate sushi, man. I said, well, why didn't you say anything when I said Oriental? He said, well, I thought you were going to take me for Chinese. You know, and someone else will go, but I thought we were going for Korean. And someone, it's all an umbrella. So we talk about martial arts and self-defense as an umbrella, but we, we don't understand. I said, there's four categories is all three of those categories, all the traditional classical martial arts, the combat sports based on martial arts and the reality-based self-defense based on martial arts are all practicing a, a stylistic, a, a, a very specific approach to how does this art or system handle this type of violence. The category four I call violent encounters. And my contention is that when there's an active killer, when there's an attempted rape, when there's a kidnapping, when there's some violent encounter, it's always a surprise attack. And, and nobody announces it. And so what you see when you, if you watch CCTV or dashboard video uh, from law enforcement training or body cam or everyone with their iPhones filming stuff, you typically see this, this chaos. You don't see the way we practice in martial arts. Now, I'm a martial artist for like 50 years I've been doing stuff. And I noticed this like in the 80s. I was like, wow, like what we're practicing and what actually happens are very different. And so I created this other, this, this, this concept of the category four attack where the bad guy actually controls the fight. In other words, the bad guy controls the time of the attack, the location of the attack, the level of violence. And what happens there, and this is the most important thing for anyone like still listening to this, is that 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 attack is an emotional, psychological attack. It's not a, hey, the tournament is this Saturday, these are the rules, right? It's And so our reptilian brain, the limbic system, our emotional self is attacked first. That sends a psychological message. And this is the key thing and why I developed spear. So regardless of your martial art, spear can make you safer because spear is like inserting a, a biological airbag in your car that doesn't have an airbag it's the it's that that moment that deploys where those hands come up and like an airbag push away danger to protect your head and your body from sudden impact and then from there you would transition and so it's crazy serendipity to talk about this uh, I, I, I hope you can feel how intensely passionate I still am. Well, um, you know, I mean, I got to tell you, man, as as a parent, you know, my my first experience, I'll, I'll kind of start with my my sort of exposure to to martial arts. And it actually started with Kempo Karate. So as a kid, I took Kempo Karate um, for, for just a little bit. I, I unfortunately did not commit myself. I did not go through the belt system. I could have done very well if I committed to it, but unfortunately I didn't, I, I decided to get into music and the drum kit became my thing. Um, but, but that said, I've always had a connection to martial arts. And one of the sort of things that I decided to do as a parent was to get my kid in early, which is specifically why I have him in JKD. Um, he, he actually was in um, karate before this, a Korean form of karate, but I'm really pleased with what he's learning. But here's the deal. I grew up with my doors open. We didn't lock our doors. Right. I, I didn't live in some amazing neighborhood. I mean, we, I lived in Northridge and then I lived in Chatsworth. This is, these are cities in, in Southern California and wherever we were, we'd leave our car doors unlocked and our homes unlocked. Something changed. Something has changed within our culture. Is this America? Is this, is this the planet? Something has changed where we have a much different connection to personal security, to safety. I don't know if it's because we're exposed to more. 
I don't know if it's because of the news. I don't know if because more bad guys are out there. I don't know if the, the stats are saying that it's a worse situation. You know, social media, there's so many different factors here. But the fact of the matter is that I believe that, yes, martial arts did blow up in the 70s and has since been very interested. Uh, interesting. I mean, you look at every street corner, at least in SoCal, and there's some sort of a, a martial arts spot. Sure. But I feel like it's not at the level that it should be at with respect to self-defense, with respect to personal security, all genders included, you know, um, in any town. So why haven't more people decided to, to make this commitment to, to really focusing on personal security and self-defense? That's a great question and one that I've been not asked as, as lucidly as you just asked. Um, and, and let me answer it with a, with a crazy story. Uh, I was very good friends with Bruce Lee's son. Imagine mm. that. Right. So Brandon Lee and I were friends and uh, I was on the set of The Crow three weeks before the accident. And uh, I'm um, I fly to L.A. for Brandon's funeral and and uh, I get on the flight and this is like back. I think walk uh, disc man had just been launched. Right. So, you know, all of you who don't even know what a disc man is, Google that. Right. So it's a, <laughs> you know. Right. And so I'm, I'm on the plane. I got a disc man. I, I love to read. I got three or four books. You know, there was no, there was no, I, you know, no, no Kindles and no like, uh, uh, you know, iPads and all that. <laughs> right. So I've got three or four books and I'm sitting and I've got the seat empty beside me. So I'm taking a red eye flight and, uh, um, and I'm like so excited. There's nobody here. I got my books out. I'm all sitting back. And just as the door is, uh, about to close in walks in comes running a flight attendant not working the flight like you know she's got the uniform on and the name and and she runs over she goes oh my god I thought I was going to miss the flight I'm sitting over there and and I grab my books and I you know, stick them in the seat in front of me and she sits down and she says you know uh, this is my hub I didn't want to stay over here and I'm so glad I jumped on and my name's I forget her name Kathy and you know what's your name I got Tony and we start to taxi and I'm like thinking, man, this is red eye flight and I really want to sleep. And she's all like adrenalized. I hope she doesn't chat and, and talk. And she goes, um, she goes, so, and we're taxing and she goes, so, uh, obviously I'm a flight attendant. What do you do? And I'm in jeans and a t-shirt and a sweatshirt. Right. And I go, uh, and I don't want to talk. So I say, I quickly think, what would you, what would I say as an occupation on a plane, just as we're taking off, that would just stop the conversation. So okay. I look at her, I, I go, I go, uh, life insurance salesman. Okay. <laughs> Thinking like, like, okay, good. I'm good. And that's the same conversation. <laughs> right? And, uh, and she looks at me, she goes, life insurance. She goes, you're not a life insurance salesman. I can tell. And one of my I, I, don't, I don't know if it's a superpower or if it's my it's my Achilles heel is I cannot lie ever. Someone says to me, not even a white lie. Hey, what do you think of this? I'm like, you know, oh, shit. Right. Hey, how did I do, coach? Oh. <laughs> you know, I'm like, and so I go, uh, she goes, uh, you're not a life insurance salesman. I can tell. Seriously, what do you do? I said, okay, I'm a life extension insurance salesman. She goes, life extension insurance? What is that? I said, I teach self-defense. It's just a funny way of saying I teach self-defense, life extension. <laughs> so she goes, she goes, oh my God, I always wanted to learn how to defend myself. And I look at her, I go, no, you didn't. And she stiffens up with that, you know, kind of like a little, like, how dare you? What do you mean? What do you mean I didn't face? Right? She doesn't say anything, just this scorn look. I said, people who always wanted to do stuff 
do stuff. Mm. I think what you meant to say is you always wanted to know how to never be near a situation where you might have to defend yourself. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she goes, she goes, oh my God, yes. And I ended up talking to her for fucking hours, you know, so can I swear on the show? I forgot to ask you. I Hell yeah, that. bring it. Okay, good. Okay, good. Um, I just did a, I just did a, a, a show for moms and dads a couple of days ago. And the guy said, please, I know you're legendary swearing. Like, you know, I'm the Gary Vaynerchuk of self-defense. And, uh, you know, as far as, and it, I said, he said, can you not swear on this show? So I think I'm still, I still <laughs> scarred from that episode. But, um, <laughs> but what was amazing, Ruben is, is she, why I told that story is because what you asked me is why don't more people do this? It's, it's. If my wife says to me, we got to talk about life insurance and we got to go over the last will and testament again and we got to change some stuff, I always say to her, okay, not now though, like I'm busy. Like I don't want to talk about that, right? And and I think most guys, and I don't mean to like genderize it, but like most guys are like, like because we're like, like we don't, we want to believe in immortality. We don't think that we're going to get old, you know, mm. and, and, uh, and we don't think that, that we're going to die. And so I think when people really think about the difference between doing a martial art and truly understanding self-defense, it's like talking about life insurance, that you've got to accept responsibility. And I spell responsibility with a hyphen, responsibility, the ability to respond. And we look at, we look at violent encounters in the news and 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 the news sensational. They don't. The news doesn't show us all the people that get away, all the people that were situationally aware or verbally diffused it. They show us the victims, and so we're constantly bombarded with this is what it really looks like. And I think most people, like that flight attendant, go, you know what? I want to know how to never be near that, but I don't want to even take a deep dive into understanding how to handle that. I want to add this. I had two women, uh, no show on uh, uh, this weekend seminar that I was conducting years ago and they had prepaid and now they're 15 minutes late. I have one of my instructors talking to the group because I called everyone the day before and I finally get one to answer the phone and I go, you know, yeah, Miss so-and-so, like, you know, we're supposed to start at, at nine o'clock, you're, you're not here. And she says, uh, start without us, we're not coming. I said, really? I said, okay, like, I'm sorry to hear that. We just talked yesterday, everything was good, you prepaid. You know, you're not getting your money back, right? Like, this is like, it's, you know, there were 10 people in the class, that, you know, you had to come. And she says, that's fine. And there's something in her voice. I go, like, is there a reason you're not coming? And one of my schools, I used to live in Montreal, Canada, and I, and I had a school in, in this industrial park where the buses don't go. And you had to get off at a bus stop or the, or the subway and then walk about a half a mile through an industrial park. These two women got mugged on the way to the self-defense seminar. Wow. Yeah. Now get this. And this is, this is how you might think because you're an entrepreneur, which means you're adaptive, you're resilient, you manage fear. I'm an entrepreneur, right? Same thing. Someone says you can't do this and we don't go, Oh, I guess it wasn't meant to be. We try to, well, like we, we try to figure it out. And so it's the same thing. If someone's choking you, you try to figure it out. They got mugged. And so and- let me get this straight. I want to make sure I understand this. So so they got mugged that morning on the that way morning, to the class. On the way to the paper. seminar, like 8.45 in the morning, walking through this industrial park. Wow. And, 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 but here's the thing. And this is what I said. This is the, like, some, they weren't harmed, fortunately, just, just scared shitless. But imagine this. They say this to me. I go, uh, I go, well, you know, 
like you're not coming they go yeah you know like i'm not giving you a refund you're like we confirm this right i'm like in my early 20s trying to build a life right and um they go that's okay just start without us and i said well can i ask you why and she says well we got mugged and i start laughing on the phone because i thought they were joking right i they go we you were like i said you said you're telling me that you were mugged on the way to your self-defense seminar and as a result, you're not going to go to the self-defense. Right. Seminar. And that's, and that's what I, I'm glad you keyed in on that. But I thought they were joking first. Like, like, you know, when you, like you tell your teacher, like, yeah, the dog ate my homework. I, 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 I did it. And like, no, the dog didn't eat your homework. I thought it was some like bullshit story that I might give them back their money. I said like, that's the best excuse I've ever heard to tell your self-defense instructor. I'm still not giving you a refund. And they said, no, seriously, we were mugged. I said, seriously? They, they say, yeah. I said, then why aren't you coming? And what they told me is consistent and connected to the flight attendant story. Because ignorance is bliss. And, and in the moment, what they saw was they were so scared and had no options that they said, you couldn't have done anything. What could you have done? Right. And so they, they adopted and embraced that whole victim thing. And you've, listen, you've let go of employees with that mindset. You've, you've not done deals with people with that mind. Where people are in there, it's that Dunning-Kruger thing where they think they're better than they are. They know more than they have. And then something happens and then suddenly it's, you can see that it's over in their face, in their eyes. And they just, they just don't have that. So it was, it, was a, it was a fascinating thing. But the short answer to why people don't do that is I, I really think is, is it's so, it's such a scary reality to consider that they avoid it. Just like you get a toothache. Most people avoid going to the dentist until it's so bad that they go in and the dentist said, Hey, you're lucky you came in. This is pretty bad. You know, like we don't, we don't rush to, to get the shit fixed. And that's, and that's the, one of the, you know, the, I tell people the ability to protect yourself or a loved one is an arguably the single most important skill you could possess. Now, why, like, why wouldn't you want to like learn, you know, some shit about that? So it's crazy, man. I mean, that's, that's a, that's poignant, man. I, 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 I really, I feel, you know, I feel my, my first level is I feel kind of levels of compassion. I can connect to that. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to just want to hide behind a rock and just to sure. not face fear and not face adversity, not face risk, not face potential harm, right? And the easiest thing that we can do is just to say it's it's to run. It's That's one of the easy – to run or to freeze, right? right? Um, to address something head on, that requires – well, first of all, it requires for us to take a moment, to take a break, to use, to your point, different facilities of our mind – you know, less kind of reptilian, less limbic, a lot more logical, you know, um, knowing that, uh, you know, fear often is, is one of the worst um, enemies against us compared to anything. Right. Mm. Um, but I still I still feel like there needs to be. And, and what I love about your cause and your purpose is that you're a face, you're a face to making self-defense accessible because. You're a guy's guy, but you know I can I can tell you you've got an emotional, passionate side to you, and it's people can connect to that. I mean, I think with martial can, arts, I, yeah. Can I inject something there? I a lot of people don't realize this. I abhor violence, which is why I study it, mm. and that's the difference. You talk about that that the 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 empathy or the 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 uh, emotional. 
I'm not like a knuckle dragger going, let's fight. Come on, let's break some, like, let's, let's hit some. And I've never been that. Fighting scares the shit out of me. And, and to the point where I went, like, like the, I got good at it because I was so scared of it. That's the other silver lining of this is I grew up afraid of everything, man. Afraid of my shadows, afraid. And I sabotaged all of the stuff that I was really good at. Um, as, as a skier, as a gymnast, as a, I, I, it was this weight of fear all the time. You said, and you, you, you said something, uh, um, really potent earlier about how like fear is like our greatest enemy. I forget the phrasing you said, but, but fear is either this formidable adversary that just crushes dreams or, or opportunity because we're visualizing defeat and failure in advance. Right. And, and I, I talk, I use the acronym false expectations appearing real for fear, false expectations. I'm visualizing something that hasn't even happened. That's immobilizing. That's immobilizing me in the present. It's changing the quality of my life right now. And I discovered all that through studying self-defense, through trying to figure out, you know, the, the system that I ended up creating was the one that that 12 year old needed that day. Right. And, 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 uh, and so when you say mission, purpose, passion, and, and a face, that means a lot to me, man, because I'm trying to demystify stuff. And, and, uh, I tell people, look, you can learn the principles of self-defense in the same way you can learn, uh, the principles of CPR and first aid. You don't need to study martial arts for 10 years and get a black belt. You need to learn what we call the three D's detect, diffuse, defend, detect and avoid defuse and deescalate. And then if push comes to shove, it's a choice is choice. You've got to defend yourself or your family. Um, and, and as much as I love martial arts, it's the same thing as I tell people, look, you know, you can come to a one day class and, and learn how to put on a tourniquet, learn how to stop the bleed. You can learn CPR, mouth to mouth. You can learn all these things. And, but that doesn't make you a doctor, does it? Right. You spend four or five, <laughs> but you can save life. someone's life <laughs> now, you, but you can't save your life. And that's nah. the reframe. So yeah. I use this metaphor a lot because a lot of people say, I go, Hey, we got a one day course. It's called be your own bodyguard. You know, who, what do bodyguards do? Right. Ruben, do you have a bodyguard? No. Do you have your own personal bodyguard? Why not? Right. Like, like if you're, if, if, if dub grows, like, like, and becomes a hundred million dollars and you got shareholders and, and you're, and you've gone public and, it, you know, someone's going to say, Hey, you need security detail. You're going to this talk here. And, you know, because now you're an asset, you're not even a human anymore. Mm. So years ago I went, you know what? Only VIPs get bodyguards assigned to them, but aren't we all VIPs? Mm. You're VIP for your family, you're VIP in your company. So what do you know about personal safety? What do you know about situational awareness? You know, what would happen to your family or your staff if something happened to you? And, and so this isn't me trying to sell a course. I'm just trying to explain that, that, you know, we, you asked me a really, really, no one's ever asked it like, like you did, but why aren't more people studying this is because we've confused martial arts with self-defense. Now, martial artists listening to this, you know, are misinterpreting it and, and thinking Tony's putting down my art, my system. No, I'm not. Right. Um, there's a big difference between going to the driving range with some buddies, smoking a cigar and having a beer, just hitting some balls and talking 
and actually thinking that you could that you could you know play in the open or that you're a good golfer and that's the difference is like if you want to be a martial artist you're going to study it for years but you don't need to study it for years just to learn the principles of self-defense and in the same way that you can you you, you look at the, the metaphor i shared earlier that you can take a four-hour class from ems from a firefighter and have skills that can like you said save somebody's life but if you're applying a tourniquet to somebody or helping somebody the violence has already happened let's look at the timeline of violence how do I get to the left of the ambush? How do I how do I intercept stuff, especially if it's directed at me or my family? And so it's not about being cavalier. In fact, if you Google self-defense, most definitions are so myopic. They're focused on you'll you'll hear things, you'll read things like the uh, physical act of protecting your property or your life. So even the world's definition of Self-defense is a physical attack that's already happened. You tracking? Where yeah. in our system, I'm going, whoa, let's 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 think about this way like the thirty thousand foot view, not the not the one foot view. I'm already on the ground getting stomped, right? It's like, what do bad guys want? What's going to happen to me emotionally and psychologically here? Where am I going to be? What's the scenario? Do I understand the law? What can I do? What can my body do? What's my body? And all of that stuff gets built into this class. And so what we're doing is we created in the same way that um, you learn CPR, we created uh, a course for the average person just like that. Uh, you're not a martial artist. You can't jump in an octagon and fight somebody or a cage. You can't, <laughs> if you can't go box an amateur, they're going to light your face up, right? You can't, you're, you're not a martial artist. You're somebody who goes, wow, I got a bad feeling about that. Let's move, right? And I, I, I just want to share this definition. I was looking at definition. It was bugging me so much that three years ago, and one day I hope my definition is the definition in the dictionary. And the definition is this. It's the decision to choose safety when danger is imminent. The mm. decision to choose safety when danger is imminent. What that does is it activates our brain. We start to be. We start thinking in in terms of of strategies and tactics. We're not emotionally locked into, you know, uh, oh, how do I get out of a headlock? How do I, what do I do if a guy's got a gun? It's like I want to be as far away from that as fa as possible. And um, we've been teaching that course for over twenty years now, and 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 it works. It's just such a it's such a radical shift from the conventional narrative of. Uh, yeah, so so let me let me understand this, uh, and then I actually want to kind of jump into it with you because I'd love to give people, um, if you're okay with this, I'd love to give people uh, a teaser from you. I, if sure. someone has a commitment, if someone you know listened to this message and is now inspired and they've realized that they want to take action, you know, uh, let, let's 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 sort of take them through that through your method. But my question specifically is that when people think about self defense, at least historically, and definitely I did prior to this. This conversation is I always thought of I'm in a situation where danger is imminent. I'm in that situation. And what I'm starting to gather, you know, based on being a little bit more mindful is that you can avoid danger completely just by making correct choices. Now, it's obviously not bulletproof and it doesn't work all the time, but just by being a little bit more mindful or kind of navigating a conflict um, you might be able to completely avoid harm. So yeah. speak to I that a little bit. Like, yeah, and, and I love take me at the take me to the precog level. 
Yeah. So I love that you use the word navigate there because I love sharing the thought, the mind navigates the body. Mm-hmm. And and so the mind is where we go, oh, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Now, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> um, fighting a cough. Um, if all of your training starts with, okay, guys, let's get in position today. Uh, you know, we're going to start with a gun disarm, uh, grab your training weapon, stand here, and we put the gun up. This is what I call the Star Trek model of self-defense. The Star Trek model of self-defense is that everyone beams into position and there's no pre-contact cue awareness. There's no dissonance, meaning that bad feeling, a bad vibration, something's off here. We're not cultivating or talking about intuition or instincts. So check this out. I've been now teaching for 43 years. I've had the same job for 43 years, one that I, I started and one that I developed. I've had the same mission for 43 years. So it wasn't like for 10 years I did stick fighting and then I got tired of that and then I did ninjutsu and then I did for five years. It's been since 1980 singularly focused on how to handle violent encounters. And here's and here's what I discovered. Interviewing victims of violent encounters from military to law enforcement to, to soccer moms to uh, rape victims, everybody over the years. Every victim of violence, if you ask them effectively, will eventually, and have, and this is, this, is, this is true, share that they had a bad feeling before the attack. Mm-hmm. 100%, Ruben, of the people that I've talked to, so if, if you're a baseball player and you hit 100% of the time, that's insane. You get an MVP if you're doing 50% of the time, right? If you were in the stock market and you're like 50 or 60% of your investments were effective, you'd probably be doing pretty good, right? What I'm getting at here is that 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 if I told you, Ruben, 50% of the time during a potential violent threat, do this, so always choose the safe thing and you'll be 50-50 and you go, well, okay, 50-50, go for it. What if I told you it was 60-40? What if I said 70-30? What are you like? These numbers are crazy. 100% of the people that I've talked about, whether they were trained or untrained, said, I'm talking to a cop who was almost killed. He goes, I knew this guy was going to try and hurt me. I knew when I was standing there, the reactionary gap, talking to him, the way he was looking at me, I knew. So what I developed, and this is back in the 80s, and, and, and what's fascinating, if you read a book like The Talent Code that talks about neurotransmitters and myelinization and, and the way the brain can learn, the way to, to hack learning in a positive, a positive sense, this is the the drills I was developing intuitively in the '80s were consistent with modern neuroscience, which was so exciting for me to read all of this stuff because I was trusting my intuition back then. Something was off, and so when you asked, "Hey, navigate this," and I I, I want to jump in and share this that a hundred percent of the people that I've interviewed and read about said they had a bad feeling before the attack, but they didn't know what to do with it. There was no training. So if I ask you, what's the difference between freezing and choking? Or is it semantics? For some people, they go, yeah, I I froze there. I choked there. Semantics. No. The trained person chokes. The untrained person freezes. When you don't know what to do, you're frozen with fear. If I strike out or if I, you know, don't throw the punch and I'm a professional boxer and my strategy goes out the window and I lose the fight, it's because I choked. I allowed the pressure to get to me. All of these elements tie back to 
the nucleus of everything I'm talking, <coughs> excuse me, the nucleus of everything I'm talking about, and that is our ability to recognize the fear spike and manage our own fear. Recognize the spear spike. The, 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 the fear spike. The f- recognize the fear spike. What does that mean? So, so, um, is, is that, is that that kind of ominous guttural feeling that we get when we're afraid of something and all of a that, sudden, we're just a, like, yeah, that's a couple of seconds after it, but that's part of it. So the fear spike is that initial moment when, you know, uh, and this could happen where you're opening an email and it starts off with you motherfucker, you mess with the wrong person. Right. And then you start to read and you realize, oh my God, I'm being sued. Uh, and then your, your, your whole physiology changes. Have you ever been speeding somewhere? You're late for a meeting and, uh, uh, you come over a hill and you see a cop car off to the side. And then a nanosecond later, you realize he's giving someone else a ticket and you're not going to get a ticket, but your body still gets this adrenaline dump, Mm. even though you're not moving, but your heart starts to race, you get butterflies in your stomach and you're like breathing, you're breathing, suddenly you're vertically breathing and you're like, wow, that was cool. That's the, that's the fear spike. And the, the symptoms of it were what you described, but the fear spike is the, the initial something, the stimulus that triggers it. That's the fear spike. And then what we have are all these physiological changes. So what we're trying to teach people to do, whether they're trained or untrained, and I listen, I work with professional athletes. I work with uh, 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 corporations where people, I don't need to teach my people how to fight. Well, like business as a battlefield is a metaphor, right? Like, hey, the art of war, man. The art of war is so relevant. Oh, yeah. And, but, um, the, the biggest thing that I tell people is regardless of what you're doing, fear throttles everything we do. Everything we do runs through this fear loop. And if we don't understand how to identify, and I always tell people that a moment of doubt creates hesitation. Now we're losing time. Doubt creates hesitation. Unchecked doubt and hesitation becomes a fixation. If I, now I'm in the inaction, right? I-N-A-C-T-I-O-N, one word. Inaction means I'm not doing anything. Hey, why haven't you turned in that, that uh, report? Well, yeah, I'm busy, I'm working on it, I'll get it to you. But there's inaction, I can tie it back. Why am I hesitating? Why is there doubt? And when you peel every onion, and I've been doing this for decades now, when I ask, but why is that? But why is that? But why is that? Somebody finally says, okay, because I'm fucking afraid of looking bad. I'm afraid of being rejected. I'm afraid of getting my ass kicked. I'm afraid I won't make that lift. And if I look at, you know, people, I, 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 I coach uh, athletes sometimes, right? And they're, I'll look at them and they're, they're working on like a, an Olympic lift, a snatch. And they have perfect form with a PVC pipe and they have perfect form in an Olympic bar. And then when they start adding weight, their form goes out the window. They've already demonstrated that they understand the technique, the movement, they got the range of motion, they got the kinesthetic perception. Why is their form changing as the weight goes up? If you can get in their head, you understand they're afraid of missing the lift and the bar dropping on them. And that's a scary thing. You should be afraid of it, right? And so um, it's, it's a fascinating thing. The most important thing that we teach people is how to change how they look at fear. And this well, is the you, thing is, is, is you don't, you don't, you don't go to the course and go, okay, I'm fearless. Right. I have remember the no fear company, mm-hmm. no fear t-shirts. 
So I, I made a joke. I, you know, I used to, I used to walk in a seminar. I'd wear the No Fear shirt company. I go, how many of you have a shirt like this? It's always like, like macho guys, type A, back yeah. in the day in the eighties, right? And I go, I am still afraid. I've got the shirt on. It must be defective because I thought if I bought all of their <laughs> styles, right? And so we changed that to No Fear, spelled K N O W. Mm. That if I get to know fear and change my relationship fear, I get to use fear as a fuel. And that's well, real. Well, okay, so there's, there's, there's something that's really interesting for me about this. It's that a lot of people, well, we're all navigating through our lives and we're all evolving. We're trying to improve. We're trying to uh, make better decisions about the way that we're living our lives to ultimately gain happiness, right? And there's a lot of neuroplasticity that goes into this because our brain is continuing to make new changes, to learn, to adapt, to improve. But for those people who have not decided to make self-defense one of their priorities, they don't have an opportunity to evolve. They're staying in the same ignorant, unskilled place that they were as, as a kid effectively or as a young adult. And that's just risk to me because there's stuff out there and right. uh, you know, it's, this is like a, it's a wake up call. It's a wake up call. And I think what, what I, what I am definitely guilt of, guilty of is, is being comfortable in that, in that place of ignorance, you know? And I, and I think you're a great motivator to that. So I, I mean, I, I appreciate you. that. Listen, yeah. listen, we, we all, we all, have our bubble we all have our cognitive dissonance you know if you were sitting there with two other buddies and i said one of you is going to get attacked tonight each one of you would look to your left and your right and go i wonder if it's going to be him or like none of us go i wonder if it's going to be me do i and, and look i'm not one of these fear mongers chicken little the sky is falling right i you know i i just i just look around and it's it's you know i go I asked the question in, in our seminars, we asked the question, what would it cost you if you didn't fight back? What would it cost you? What could it cost you if you chose to ignore the signs, right? And this applies to business, man. Oh, yeah. This applies to, listen, I lost a $12 million company in 2010 by not applying what I teach people and had been teaching people. I saw signs of things. I went to my CEO, I go, what's going on with this? Why do they want to change the, 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 the holding company? Oh, it's a tax write-off, it's a, it's a this, it doesn't affect us. Well, why are they doing this? Why do they want me to... And I had hired this guy out of Harvard and I knew I had in my body this bad feeling, but I didn't want to open the Pandora's box and be right about it. I did not want to be right about it. And uh, it turns out my CEO was working with them. And about six, seven months later, I had to dissolve the company and lost a $12 million company over a three-day period. It was just insane. And I sat back and I went, detect, diffuse, defend. The same thing that I created in the 80s bit me in the ass in 2010 because I didn't apply what I teach people to myself and my business. And so I, I, I share this because... The the skill set, if I say to you, I said it earlier, your ability to protect yourself or your loved ones and arguably the single most important skill you could possess, that if I said, uh, Ruben, something horrible is going to happen tomorrow, but you can change it, but you're going to lose dub and everything you built, but the people most important in the world to you are going to be safe. You go, that's a fucked up scenario, man. But of course, take the software. I can rebuild that. 
because I'm smart. I'm a fucking entrepreneur. I will figure out how to rebuild my business. I don't give a shit about my guitar collection, my, my car collection, my stamp collection. I want my family and myself to be safe. And when we start with that, what I discovered is that when we understand this, we understand everything. That's mm. the transcendent value of suddenly I can look in the mirror and go, listen, man, if shit goes down, I'm going to do what I can to protect. I'm going to be a courageous bystander or I'm going to protect my, my, my family. And I'm going to understand how to make those decisions. Now, think about boardroom decision or a cold call or, or a salesperson that you say, hey, I need you making 10 phone calls before lunch. And they're going, yeah, 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 as they light another cigarette going, what if I don't make my quota? Then it comes down to all of this. I was on The Ultimate Fighter a couple of times as, as a guest instructor, once with Frank Mir, and then a couple of years ago, my buddy Kieran Fitzgibbons runs the, um, one of the best uh, uh, training, uh, fight training uh, um, gyms in the world. He invites me on because he was a student of mine 20 years ago, and I'm like the fear management guy, you know. Uh, and so I'm there. There's 12 uh, 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 champions from different countries. It was the season they had everyone on the the the, the show was a, a champion fighter from their country. And I come up, I got like a half an hour to work some magic, and I go, and I'm still looking at 12 guys sitting in a, in a mini octagon. They all have busted noses, scars on their faces. They all have cauliflower ears, right? And I go to you, how many of you are afraid to fight? So they start giggling, right? Right? And and uh, I go, none of you are afraid to fight? I go, oh, look, they're like, look, look at my ears, man. Look at my, we love fighting. I go, none of you are afraid Dana's going to cancel your contract if you lose your next fight. No one's thinking mm. about that. And then they're like, yeah, nobody's thinking, you know, my wife said if, if uh, I don't start making money from fighting that I'm going to have to get a real job. Is that fucking with your head? Suddenly, everyone's afraid of fighting. They're not afraid of <laughs> you, understand, you understand where I'm going? That, that peeling the onion is such a subtle thing. We, we, I was down at Fort Bragg. Uh, I got there a bit early. I'm working with some military guys. And uh, I'm not a big fan of heights. And I get to a coffee shop. One of the guys says, hey, man, I'm going jumping today. You want to come? And uh, I go, uh, jumping, like up and down jumping? He goes, ha, 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 very funny, like out of an airplane jumping. I go, uh, yeah, I'm good, man. I don't like heights. I've done it twice, uh, static line jump and then a tandem jump at 12,000 feet. I'm good. He goes, come on, man. You're afraid? I go, uh, I just, I don't want to do it. I don't think, I don't, I don't get the whole reason of jumping out of an airplane on purpose. And uh, he laughs with his buddy. He says, I thought you're Mr. Fear Management. And he does the air quotes. I go, I am Mr. Fear Management. Look at me. I'm managing my fear, not jumping out of the airplane. So they all <laughs> laugh. And I say to him, Ruben, I go, hey, let me ask you a question. You don't have any fear when you do this? He goes, no. He says, I got like 600 jumps. I jump every time I can. I said, well, you know, there are guys on your team that hate jumping, but they stay qualified because they got to have the skill set. Do you understand the difference between, between jumping afraid and not jumping afraid? You can't be brave if you're not afraid. You cannot be brave if you're not afraid. And so uh, I looked at him. I said, uh, I said, do me a favor. He goes, what? I said, let me pack your shoot for you. I said, before you answer, I just want to tell you that I'm fucking horrible at folding even a t-shirt. I have no idea what I'm doing. So let me pack your shoot. And he goes, you're not going anywhere near my shoot, man. Fuck off, right? And I looked at him. I go, 
that's fear. Do you feel that? And he suddenly realized what I was saying is like, when we stress inoculate, when we do things a lot, we don't realize that we're going to work afraid, that we're in some toxic relationship and we're afraid, that we don't like our job and we're afraid, that we're worried about the market and we're afraid. And so all of this, I happen to, the, the, the serendipity, I love that word, um, of figuring out how this 12-year-old can learn how to protect himself was to, to uh, create a whole different way to look at fear that, that teaches us that the fear does, never disappears. At some point, we just realize the fear has to be a companion, that there are lots of things in life that you need to hold fear's hand. You go, hey, let's let's do this together, man. I'm scared shitless here. And and when you change that that reframe, it becomes very empowering because most people don't think that. They think the fear is like you alluded to earlier, like this adversary. It's something that that and that's how that's how it was for me for most of my life. And even like even like this week something'll happen where I'll get a fear spike, but then I'll remember I got to manage my fear. I've got to use it. I have no choice. This is happening. And and that's been like the like the biggest epiphany, the biggest light bulb moment for people who who you know we get to work with. It's just I love that, man. Love that. You know, as a kid I remember watching Batman and I remember the the origin story of of the Bruce Wayne's origin story where, you know, he falls. There's a lot of different interpretations of this, but you know, he falls into a cave, he sees the bats, terrible fear of the bats, and then he starts to connect to that. And then that becomes his insignia, his icon, that becomes his identity, right? And it's this idea where initially at first he was afraid of something, but then there was an em embracing of that, and that sort of liberated him to overcome right. that, right? And I think that I understood what that meant back then. And I think it to me back then, it just meant the idea of of embracing a weakness or embracing something that we're afraid of. But I think that what you present is is a lot more profound than that. In that, there is a relationship. There is a healthy relationship that we do should do and should have with fear. Because to your point, you can't be brave unless you have fear. You said it in, in better yeah. words. Yeah, but yeah. I, I really you can't be brave if you're not afraid. You can't be brave unless you're afraid. I love that. Yeah, yeah, and and you're hundred percent right, man. Like fear, fear, like fear is everywhere. You know, if I said if I said, hey, I think you should do this with Dub, and it's a real stretch, and I think you should pivot this way and do that. Like if you if it was a, you might look at that and go, holy shit, that'd be, like you're gonna make a big change in anything, hire new people, fire people. Uh, uh, move. There's always fear. The so fear is like you know Gavin Becker said this in his book Gift of Fear is fear is the static before the fear is the static we hear before the event. And and usually once something starts to happen, you're you're in the in the motion. Um, but if we can change our relationship in advance, we just we just get back to to that balance that homeostasis like where we want to be that flow state right that proverbial flow state uh and and so understanding that that doubt creates hesitation which creates this fixation which potentially creates this anxiety about something and there's there we're not doing anything uh and and it it ties back to it so you know using the the you know you know we were talking about the batman origin story 
it's it's embracing it, but then realizing that it, maybe it's an organic resource as well. Mm-hmm. That if that if I that if I get a fear spike about something, if I have the tools, some sort of like like mental guidelines on on what to do with that. I then can look at it and go, oh man, you know, wow, I was worrying about nothing. That's bullshit. Or, okay, this is real and now I'm getting educated. Right. And now it does. And this is, I think this is the thing is almost like uh, in, in some small way ties into you asking me, you know, why don't more people uh, um, study self-defense? You know, one answer is because they confuse martial arts with just learning self-defense they'd be like me saying hey do you want to learn like like uh, um, cpr and how to put on a tourniquet and someone thinks i don't have time to go to you know medical school for seven years right like it's like no no you're not getting a black belt in it you're just you're just learning some simple skills that will just work and buy some time for us to you know get a paramedic on the scene or, or get to the hospital and so but there's a part of it that in their brain it's not just the mechanics of it it's the emotional psychological responsibility of of it. That's what that triggers the fear spike. If I said to you, "Hey, let me show, I'll show you this cool uh, uh, gun disarm," I actually had a guy in a, in a weapon protection course we were teaching. We're doing all these these gun disarms, and um, this is such a crazy story. Uh, I can't believe I just remembered it because literally from like 1987. Oh wow! Um, yeah. Uh, so we're showing the gun disarm. Guns up. Okay, grab the hand here. Remember the little hole at the end. That's where that little thing comes out. You don't want to be in front of that hole. Move it here. And I teach it like earn. I always make a joke. I'm going to teach you self defense like Ernie and Bert from Sesame Street created the program. <laughs> okay. And I'm not. I'm not saying you're a little kid. I'm saying it's got to be that fucking simple, yeah. or you're not. There, there's a banana in your ear. Right, right. And so, so we're teaching the movement. Everyone's doing. It. And then I said, okay, now that you know the movement, we're going to start doing a bit of a scenario. So no one's going to beam down like in Star Trek with a gun here and let you put your hands up and grab the gun and do the move. It's going to come out of nowhere. You're going to be surprised. You're going to have to overcome your emotional, psychological reaction to it and then catch up to what's happening. So let's start doing scenarios. So I'm showing them like, you know, like, like gangbanger angles and, and grabbing with an opposite hand and gun comes in. I'm trying to get it more emotionally, psychologically relevant. We talk about the three R's when we're doing scenarios, realistic, relevant, rigorous, and that's how you stress inoculate. And so um, this, this guy, and it's crazy because I was 87, I was 27 years old. I'm 59 now. He was 55 at the time. And for years, I told the story, this older guy in the seminar. So holy fuck, I'm older than the older guy now. So, <laughs> so this guy says, Ruben, he stops, he goes, he says, he says, Coach Blower, he says, I got a problem here. I go, what's the problem? He says, uh, I know this is just a training gun, but the energy, and now we're swearing, we're like, get in the fucking car, man, or give me your money. Like, we're, it's a whole on little micro scenario. And he goes, um, he says, I'm thinking if a guy's got a gun in my face here and he's threatening me like that, I'm just going to give him my wallet. He says, I don't even think I could, I could control myself to do this gun disarm. I said, well, remember this, bad guys only want one of three things, property, body, or life. Property, body, or life. If you think, if your intuition, your instinct, we talk about the three eyes, Ruben, instincts, intuition, intelligence. If your intuition and your instincts tell you he only wants your property, then yeah, I'm not telling people to, to get in a death match over your wallet. That's stupid. But 
what is your intuition telling you? Is he making an attempt to conceal his identity? Is he out in the public? Is it brazen? You know, is he holding a, a duct tape and a hood, you know, in his hands? Like, is he of a compliment? Right? There's all these other factors that give you these, like when someone said I had a bad feeling before that, there's all that. So I said like, so here's the thing, man, you know, property, body or life. He goes, I get it. He says, I'm just thinking like if a guy's got a gun, has done a gun in my face, like I'm done. I really think I'd be so scared. Right. I said, well, I appreciate your honesty. Let me ask you a question. If I walked up to you with just my fingers, no gun. And I stuck it in your head. I said, give me your wallet, motherfucker. Get in the trunk of my car, motherfucker. Taking you to secondary crime scene, motherfucker. Right. I threw in the swearing there because I didn't swear a lot in the beginning of the show. Um, <laughs> and I said, if I just had my fingers on your head, just my fingers, dude. Would you try something? Would you defend yourself? He goes, well, yes, of course. I go, well, you got that backwards, man. I can't kill you with just my fingers on my head, but I can kill you with my fingers on a gun. The time to not fight, if you were going to choose to not fight, is when the guy doesn't have a gun. The time that you must make the hard choice, the choiceless choice, is if he does have a weapon and you're not sure where this is going to go. And I said, I'm not an options facilitator. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just presenting you with this like Zen cone of like, what do I fucking do here? What is the answer here? And that's what I tell people. Like at the end of the day, it wasn't the biomechanics that were stopping him. It was him thinking about fear and failure. The acronym, false expectations appearing real. When I'm visualizing my death, my destruction, my doom in the future, and it's immobilizing me in the present. And when we can reconcile that and look at fear through that filter, we realize, holy shit, I got to get out of the fear loop. Regardless of how this turns out, staying here is killing me spiritually. Dang. Heavy, right? Heavy. Very heavy. Say that again. When you visualize... Your death and doom, it Im yeah. immobilizes. So, so, so fear is an acronym, F-E-A-R, false expectations appearing real. False expectations appearing real. I'm playing a movie in my mind. It's a horror film, and I'm victim number one instead of the hero in the story, right? And it's when I'm visualizing my doom, my death, my destruction, whatever it is. I'm visualizing negative shit happening in the future, that's immobilizing me in the present. I say to somebody, why aren't you getting up and doing something? Right? If, have you ever been screwed in business really bad? Uh, yeah, Any, I okay. guess anyone that's... <laughs> right, anybody, especially entrepreneurs, right? So, like, the day I lost my $12 million company, I didn't, I didn't go, oh my God, this is so exciting. Uh, I get to be in a, in a lawsuit and, and, and uh, hire lawyers and run around and dissolve. I was like, I was crying, man. I was freaking out. I was like, what the fuck is... And I was on my desk immobilized because I was visualizing losing all my security, losing everything, losing all my money, losing my reputation. It was like, it was total, like, like it was a, it was like a nuclear fear bomb, man. And it, and it took me five years to rebuild my company. Five so talk, take me through that process. What was, I mean, there's got to be some insane learnings from that experience. Dude, yeah, I tell you what, man. Um, 
I, uh, um, the, the craziest thing is, is, is when, when a company will bring me in to do a, a corporate talk, most of them know me as this like self-defense situational awareness guy. And they go, Hey, like, can you, uh, it's so, so funny. It's like, you know, they'll see, they'll see me online and somebody in their company is, Hey, we got a lot of expatriates, a traveler, we got a high female population or let's bring Blauer in for, uh, you know, uh, uh, the talk and, you know, while they're interviewing me, they're like, do you have anything that has more corporate angle? Like that can tie into our, you know, we, and I'm like, how about this world renowned self-defense instructor loses his company by not applying everything he teaches everyone to protect themselves. Right. Mm. And I go through and they're like, what? And I go, yeah, detect. So during the detects, so remember the three D's, detect, defuse, defend, detect and avoid, defuse and deescalate. And a push comes to shove, defend. That applies to business. That applies to relationships. That applies to, most importantly, personal defense. And so, uh, <coughs> you know, um, we we had just done a $17 million deal with the U.S. Army for some equipment I designed. Uh, new administration comes in 2009-10, and there's a military sequestration that's uh, put into effect, so there's no spending. And all of a sudden, what was supposed to be this multi-million dollar program gets shut. All my contracts get, get shut, um, and uh, my battery is on low battery. Wow. Um, this, this will be fun. I didn't think we were going to go this long. How, how, <laughs> it's crazy. Well, I'm out no, of my garage. Yeah, um, no, that's it's all good. We'll we'll kind of wrap up in a minute here. I yeah, will, yeah. We'll edit this out too. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, um, uh, the um, uh, like everything gets stopped. Like hundred thousand dollar contract gets canceled. Hey, I got bad news, Tony. Man, we want to train with you, but like we have no money. And my my business partner decides, and we'd been locking horns on some projects. Decides he doesn't need me anymore. I had a 21,000 foot facility, uh, you know, and he, he works this deal with my COO to figure out a way to oust me out of the company. And, uh, you know, I get a call from his lawyer one day saying, Hey, we want to sell the company. I said, well, that's great. I don't really want to you know, be in manufacturing and let's, let's sell it. Let's do a, a valuation. Let's do five times EBITDA. Let's figure out. And they go, no, no, we're going to sell it to so-and-so for like $4 million. And I was like, what? We're doing 12 million a year. We just did 17 million with a, with the U.S. Army, what do you mean four million bucks? We're gonna split that, and then pay taxes on it. This is my life's work. Like I, it was all my all my design, all my my IP from Canada, and I moved to the states. And they went. They basically said, if you try to block the sale, we're gonna remove you as manager. I was like, what? How can you do that? We're we're equal partners. He says, you're not equal partner. Your COO has vested equity after two years. So they waited, they planned it. I just got, I got fucked. It was in Virginia and the laws are different there. And uh, it was, it was insane, man. But if I take a whiteboard now, if we ever get together, you know, and I do a whiteboard, I go, this happened, this happened, like all these like events. So it'd be the same thing where, where if you were walking and you called me up and you go, Hey, I got mugged last night, man. And I go, Oh, wow. You said, your system sucks. You said D1, D2, D3. I just got jumped. I go, yeah, well, let's, let's peel that onion. And you go, yeah, I, you know, I had some words with a guy in a bar and uh, he called me an asshole. And I said, come on, man. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't see you when I bumped into you. I didn't mean to knock your drink over. And then, uh, you know, I had a few more drinks with my buddies. And, and then, uh, 
you know, I thought it was weird that he left the bar at the same time as me, but he went the other way. Like, what? That was your first pre-contact cue, right? And then, uh, uh, and then I had this other guy, you know, ask me for some directions. Uh, that was the setup guy to distract you while he came around the other side. And then I got jumped. And it, like you could, like the whole model still fits, right? And so the same thing happened to me in, in, in business. But, you know, I, I said it earlier, I didn't want, I was so afraid of what I thought was happening was happening that I didn't want to deal with it. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of videos out there, the here in my garage videos, you know, you, you know, the ones it's, it's a, it's a guy trying to trying to boast, trying to brag, trying to say, here's my cars, here's my stuff. And to me, this is the most important here in my garage video that I think people need to see. Uh, this video, this podcast, it's, people's lives depend on it. And the fact of the matter, what I've learned from this conversation is that through a healthy relationship with fear, through understanding what adversity means and just being a little bit more intelligent that we could protect ourselves. Yeah. Uh, thanks, man. People, people can, you know, find me all over the internet. You know, uh, my main website is Blauer Spear, one word, my last name, B-L-A-U-E-R Spear, S-P-E-A-R, and .com. And of course, I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn, and uh, just just my name, Tony Blower. Um, so just Google me. Nice man. And then how how can people take some of your courses? Well, there's there's a number of ways uh, on my website. If you go to my website, there's all sorts of links. So if it's uh, you know if it's one on one, if it's corporate, uh, it's it's crazy how we've we've expanded. But uh, you know you can bring us in. I've got a team around the world. We do courses all over the world. Uh, you can bring us into your, your company, to your martial arts school, to, uh, you know, we've got, you know, we did, we did something last year where a father, something had happened to, uh, his oldest daughter and his, and his wife, two separate events. And he hired me and I sent, uh, three of my trainers to go train his family. He had like six of his family together. It was crazy. So, and we've got online stuff too. So if geography or finances prevents you from getting to a course, uh, you can learn stuff online and that might sound ridiculous. But literally, like most of avoiding a confrontation is understanding the emotional, psychological realities of it and having the the ability to manifest courage. Remember what I said earlier, you know, you can't be brave if you're not afraid. So when you when you remember that every victim of violence who lived to tell the tale said they had a bad feeling, that's when self-defense starts. So just listening to an audio tape or listening to that goes holy. And I've had so many, so many like, like letters over the years, emails over the years. Hey, this almost happened to me last night. Or do you think this was going to happen to me? I had a bad feeling and I left. And my answer is always, who cares? You're safe. Right? You know, it's like if people want to go like they, they want to know, hey, like, could I have really gotten out of the headlock? Why do you want to find that out? Choose safety. <laughs> Choose right. safety. Right. Yeah. Love that, man. Well, listen, I really, really appreciate the time. Yeah, this is great. You're, you're, uh, you're uh, uh, a great interviewer. You really, I, I, I dug how into the conversation you were. I appreciate that. Hey, perpetual learner, man. Yeah. All right, brother. Thanks so much, well, man. Okay, let me know if I can do anything for you guys. And uh, Likewise. And when you're in L.A., please reach out. I will. And uh, I, is, um, is Darius away or is he in? No, like, he's in. He's in. We're here to support, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I, I want to, uh, um, sign up for the pro, the, the pro thing. So uh, I texted him cause we were going to uh, try something and he was going to work out something. 
uh, with me, and I wanted to know because he was he was doing a one account and a and a and a bonus for somebody else to try. I'm trying to do something in the martial art world because I really think that I could, if this is successful, I really think that I could help you sell a bunch of things. I don't want to be involved in it, but it's just like a proof of principle. And uh, I didn't know if I should sign that up, if I need to sign up through him or just online. Yeah, um, both both works. I mean, the thing that, that the thing that I'd love to see happen because uh, you know I'm I'm really passionate about this cause, and I and I think first and foremost, I think corporations need to adopt it. I think it makes total sense. It's just an important paradigm shift that has to happen. Um, but I think for the most part, companies, HR, perks, whoever the sort of decision maker is, COO, CEO, whoever that decision maker is, I don't know. I'm not sure if they're fully educated on on the 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 necessity for this and why this right. is so relevant in this day and age um, as they do their research and as they have their conversation with you, I'm sure that, you know, they'll get that. But what I'd love to right. see is you using dub to communicate that to, right. to do webcam videos, to explain what the, what it is, but then also to show interviews, testimonials, you know, news clips. It's really easy to build out dynamic right. videos without having to do yeah. any. And, and, and he offered to help with that. And part of it, and maybe I'll come up to LA. Is he up in LA too or somewhere else? Yeah. Yeah. He's in LA. Yeah. So maybe maybe what I'll do is uh, I'll come up and, and we'll, we'll plan a time to spend some time together because it, it may just be that, that, there's such a stigma when someone hears self-defense, right? Their brain goes, and you did it like you went through a little bit of today, but you invested, you know, a couple hours like learning about me where most people are like, you know, hey, we need some self-defense. You know, we go, no, oh, no, 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 no. I did self-defense when I was 15. I, you know, we don't need that. You know, they, they think it's something it isn't, but if you're, what we do is completely different. And it's really like, like literally, you know, you're at work and someone hurts himself and you find out, oh, there was no fire extinguisher on the, on the services. There was no first aid kit there. Right. And now, you know, uh, like if I said to you, uh, uh, hey, uh, you know, you need a first aid kit and a defibrillator at your office. Nobody goes, oh, I don't want that. I, it hurt. You go, yeah, of course. So like, why wouldn't they have the same reaction? Like we, everyone should learn a little bit about self-defense, walk into the parking lot, active killer, whatever the fuck it is. You know? Exactly. Well, tell you what, if you're in LA, what I'd love to do is I'd love to produce a video with you and I'd love to, yeah, you know, whatever you're comfortable kind of presenting, I'd love to, to capture um, something. I'd love to capture your method in a really kind of bite-sized you know, 10, five, 10 minute video, nicely produced. So keep it on your yeah. radar. Yeah, no, no, no. I'll, I'll fuck, man. I live in Encinitas. I'm always looking for a reason to come up there. But uh, if there's something that, that, that I don't think, I don't think nobody's figured out a way to explain what I do short in a short way for corporations, you may be able to do that. Um, I don't remember like for years, like I've been training military law enforcement, like people who really fight bad guys. So the corporate stuff is really uh, like it falls on my lap. It's not something I don't have a salesman actively knocking on doors. But, you know, it, it, at this chapter in my life, I'm trying to scale out and, and do more of that stuff. So there may be some a neat collaboration there that uh, that uh, and I really think like I've got I've got 200 affiliates around the world who teach self-defense. Each one of them should be. <clears throat> should be a dub client you know let's let's talk that sounds really interesting you know i guess from the just to kind of articulate what i mean from a corporate perspective corporations pay for gyms they pay for meditation they pay for yoga they pay for health insurance they should be paying for self-defense classes right that should be on that laundry list of things that get reimbursed right. um dub should do that you know um 
so I think that's a topic that needs to be um, yeah. okay. exploded. So love okay. it. Love it, man. Appreciate your time, bro. Hey, thanks. It was fun. Glad we finally connected. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, I mean, it's it's ironic that our first scheduled appointment was delayed because oh, I was all shooter. messed up, man. There was a, there was a shooter. There was a yeah. It was, it was it was terrible, man. I was really affected by it, and I I was just was not in a good place, so I needed oh, to schedule it. Yeah, I, I I fucking get that, man. I mean, when that that uh, Sandy Hook thing happened uh, on a Friday a few years ago, um, I was in New York City with an old old student of mine who's like this multi-millionaire guy in the in the medical space now and uh we're having sushi and he gets a phone call one of the kids killed was a friend of his daughter like in the middle of our meal it was the friday night i get back oh that weekend i go to my 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 daughter's school is a mile from my house open campus and i sit down with the uh principal and i go hey um uh and I get in there, like, literally, there's, like, no other parents there. So I walk in there with my wife, and I'm like, where's all the parents? They, 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 must, be, they must be having a meeting about this. Like, this is like this massacre happened on Friday. It's Monday morning. I'm the only one there. There's the secretary. I go, where's everybody? They go, what do you mean? I go, is there, like, is something happening in the gym or the, you know? No. Is the principal here? Yep, she's in her office. I go, she brings me in her office, like, this is like business. This woman looks like shit. She's been up all weekend because the first person killed in that Sandy Hook was the principal. And I explained to her, look, I'm one of the most famous combative self-defense guys in the world. I do stuff with the Pentagon. I live a mile from here. My daughter, this is what I say to her word for word. My daughter goes to school here. I don't want any money from you guys, but I want to train all your teachers because your teachers are our kids' bodyguards. Yeah. And... She says to me, she goes, oh, Mr. Blower, thank you for your concern. It's okay. We have an app. And she points to her desk. She says, we have an app on our phone that dials the police. I go, what? I go, like, like these things are over before the cops ever get here. They shoot and then they kill themselves. Or they shoot and they leave. Like, the police aren't getting here in time to, st you know, and I'm getting fucking pissed. Nothing ever c c came of it. It's like, well, no, the school board has to approve and all that. And like, nobody wants to fix it. It re it literally is up to you and me. You know, what are we going to teach our kids? And and the stuff they teach kids, I told my daughter, you fucking follow that shit. You don't hide under a desk. You fucking hear some shit. You you need to start moving. You know, unless you're cornered and trapped. But it's it's fucking as a parent, it's the scariest shit in the world. Yeah, exactly, man. Yeah. Okay, dude. I'll let you get to work. We'll keep talking. I appreciate uh, I appreciate your passion, and I look forward to meeting you in person. Thanks, brother. Okay, appreciate be safe. the time, man. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.